0: Here's Pastor Scott. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The scripture says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. A great multitude were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, What is Your Response to the Gospel? Pray with me. God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your holy book. God, I pray that as we look to your word today that you'd be our teacher by your spirit. Father, I pray that you'd give me the strength physically to stand and to say what you would have me to say. God, I ask you to glorify yourself during this time and do your work your way. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your response to the gospel? We've been talking about our theme for 2017 that God put on my heart in December that we would get serious about getting healthy in 2017. Not just physically healthy, but healthy on the five realms that we have to contend with, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical, and financial. You can try to make a word out of that if you want to. I think the closest I've come is SPERF, S-P-E-R-F. But there's five different realms that you have to concentrate, that you live on, whether you recognize them or not. There's a spiritual side to you. that You, you need to also be concerned about your emotions, your, your finances, your, your, your physical side, and your relationships. But I'm taking a break this morning from that because I seriously was so just wrung out, just dripping in sweat this morning, picking up the phone to call. But I thought, no, I'm going to go because if I was going to preach one last message, before I died, if I was going to preach one last message, I, I would take a break from this year's theme, and I would ask you this very simple question, what is your response to the gospel? And I want you to listen to this message like it could be the last message you'll ever hear. I want you to listen to this message like this, this is important. Say important. important. The word of God is important, and we need to give it our attention. The verse, verse 9, he concluded by saying, he who has ears to hear Let him hear. I hope that your ears are open to the word of the Lord this morning. I want us to look at four different responses that people have to the gospel, or as Jesus calls it in verse 19, the word of the kingdom. See, the Bible says of itself that we have these stories for our example. The reason why God gives us all these historical accounts of how these people and these other people and these next group of people lived and responded to him is so that we can learn more about God, more about us, more about how God responds to us, and more about how we respond to God. And there are four distinct responses to this gospel message in this parable, and every human being that ever lived has one of these four responses. And I want you to figure out what your response is this morning. We're going to look at this parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. But before we do that, because I asked what is your response to the gospel, I want to give you a Bible definition of what gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Paul is speaking to the Christians in Corinth, and he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. This is what you believe to get saved. In verse 3, he said, For I delivered to you first of all that which also I received. He said, I told you what Christ told me. I I taught you what I was taught. In in the second half of verse 3, he said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is what the gospel is. If you listen to music, and you say, I was listening to gospel music this morning. If it didn't sing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it wasn't gospel music. It might have been Christian music. If you listen to preaching and it didn't talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it might have been Christian preaching, but it wasn't gospel preaching because gospel is emphatically and in no other context only about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what determines who's saved and who's not saved. See, I was born into the Catholic Church, and at one point everyone in the world was a Catholic or was being hunted down to be killed by the Catholics. Study your history. This this is how the world was framed. So the whole Christian world was Catholic at one point, and we were taught, when I was born into the Catholic Church, they've been teaching this for thousands of years, that if you're a good Catholic and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you get to heaven, God's going to let you in. If you're kind of, you know, 50 50 you might have to wait for a little while in the holding zone and if you're all jacked up then it's a bad place for you listen that is not the system of the bible that's the system of man the system of man is about working your way to heaven see there's two real concepts about how to get into heaven one is called grace and one is called works the bible teaches grace for by grace are you saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody will ever get in heaven and say, let me in because I deserve it. Because nobody's ever been good enough to get into heaven except Jesus. Everybody contrarily has been bad enough to not be allowed into heaven except for God's grace. So here, it's not about whether or not you've done enough good to get into heaven. It's not about whether or not you've done too much bad to stay out of heaven. Because the scripture says, by keeping of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's not about how much good things you do. The scripture says that we are justified by faith. We are made right with God by faith. A belief system in something. And that something is this very gospel that Jesus was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You might know people who claim to be an atheist. You might know people who claim to be an agnostic, but everybody believes in Jesus. I mean, that's like saying you don't believe in Donald Trump. Well, I understand you might not believe in him, but you believe that he's here. His hair might not be real, but he's he's there, right? I mean, you you to say you don't believe in Jesus would be foolish because Jesus is the most documented human being that ever lived. Our calendar is split on when Jesus is. Now, because the world hates our God, they have done away with the B.C. meaning of time. You know, we've got B.C. and A.D. Well, they changed B.C. now to B.C.E. Because before, when somebody said 35 B.C., you knew that meant 35 years before Christ was born. Because Jesus was so important that he split time between what was before him and what's happened after him. Well, because so many people got their little feelings hurt and they didn't want to believe in Jesus, they changed B.C. to before the common error. Well, what started the common error? The birth of Jesus Christ. So it's still all about Jesus, and this there's no doubt that he lived. Everybody believes that he lived. So, well, come to reason, everybody would believe that he died because that's what we do we live and we die but here is what determines who believes the gospel by which you are saved the previous verse said do you believe that he rose again the third day according to the scripture do you really believe now see everybody believes in jesus you know he, he was alive. Everybody doesn't believe that he was God's son. Everybody doesn't believe that he was God come the flesh. Everybody doesn't believe in his message. And certainly everybody doesn't believe in this Christian story that he was raised from the dead. Now, that's a pretty miraculous thing. Being, I mean, it's like I would think it was a miracle if I just started feeling a little bit better right now physically. But to be raised from the dead, that's big stuff. Can we agree on that? Everybody doesn't believe that Jesus Christ was God's son, that he was special, different, unique, virgin-born, came to pay for the sins of all mankind, and that he died and then was raised from the dead. This is a supernatural concept that you have to have to be saved. But the gospel, the Bible declares that the gospel is strictly DBR. I just want you to think DBR, 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 Death, Burial, and Resurrection death you need to be a dbr person you need to be a person that believes in the death the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ because that's what christianity is about that's what the gospel is about so to believe the gospel is to believe that jesus died was buried and rose the third day according to scripture now we're looking at this parable in matthew 13 there were 38 parables that jesus taught recorded in the Gospels. this is the fourth one I told you before the word parable comes from a Greek word parabole, which means to lay something alongside of something else comparatively. It is a a comparative story. It's it's an analogy of sorts. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I want to talk to you about this parable this morning and the four different responses that we can see. And you need to find you. Too many times. People come to church and they think, oh, I wish my kids could have heard that message. Oh, I wish my parents could have heard that message. Oh, I wish my so-and-so could have heard that message. If you're a Christian or if you desire to be right with God at some point in your life, you need to realize that God wants to say something to you today, say me. Get something out of today's message for you and find out which one of these four categories you fall into. In verse 3 of our text, Matthew 13 The word says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, when I read this scripture, because of the time frame I grew up in, I think about the dude that everybody learned about in elementary school who had a bag tied on a rope around his neck throwing seed. And that guy's name was Johnny what? So I think about Johnny Appleseed. He's walking around reaching in his bag. Throwing out seeds. That's what a sower is. A sower is someone who plants seeds. So behold, a seed planter went out to plant seeds. This is a story, an agricultural story. Jesus spoke to farmers in agricultural terms to get them to understand spiritual truths. It's called first natural, then spiritual teaching. He would talk to them about natural things to try to relate them in a spiritual concept, in verse four, he says, "As he sowed, as he threw these seeds out there, because here's dude, he's just walking around in the field and he's throwing seeds out on the field because he wants the seed to take root and he wants the seed to grow so he can have a harvest." Verse four says, "As he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them." Now, do you think that's good or bad? Yeah, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not what, that's not what the sower plan is. He's not like, I want the birds to eat all my seed. It's not a bird feeder. This is a man who's hoping for a harvest, but this happens, and this is the first response. He he sowed some, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. So the seed that fell on the wayside is the hardened response. Say hard. Some people have a hardened response to the gospel. They They have they, they, they don't let the word get down on the inside of them. See, the wayside is also said in other translations as the footpath. It's where that ground has been beat down. Now, let me go ahead and jump forward to give, get you an idea. The seed is the word of God, and the soil is your heart. So the seed is what? And the soil is what? We've all got a heart, but there's only one word. So the seed is sown into your life And the way you respond to it is where you fit into this story. Some seed fell by the wayside or the footpath. Now, this parable is a unique parable, and it's awesome because a lot of parables Jesus just left out there. Figure it out if you want to. But in this parable, he's taught in the beginning of Matthew 13. He dropped down later because his disciples were like, dude. You're always talking to us in these riddles, man. Just be straight. Tell us what is happening. And he told them exactly the meaning. He gave the meaning in the bottom half of Matthew 13. So I'm going to be jumping from what he said in the beginning of Matthew 13 to the explanation. And here's what he said for the explanation of the hardened response or the wayside response. In Matthew 13, 18, he said, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. This is where later on he's coming back and said, all right, I'm going to explain to you all what I said in those first nine verses of Matthew 13. I'm going to let you know what I really meant. In verse 19 he said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So this is an unaffected person. This is somebody who comes to church and hears the word of God, and they leave completely unaffected because that seed fell on a footpath. It fell on a life that had been beat down and stomped down and pressed down, and the ground got so hard that nothing could penetrate it. Some of you, if you be honest today, you know your life has been a footpath for others. You know you've been stepped on, walked on, kicked on. Some of you know that your heart has been mishandled and it has been roughly handled and abused and people have, have squeezed life out of you to where so little affects you anymore because you have been shut down. And this is the first response. This is the unaffected response. This is the hardened response. And sadly, this is the majority response. We learn a lot about biblical principles at Abundant Life. It's it's a a theological term called hermeneutics, the art and science of properly interpreting Scripture, and there are many keys to unlocking truth in the Bible. And if you know these principles, it helps it make more sense to you when you read it. One of these truths, one of these principles is the law of priority listing. And as you look at lists in the Bible, more times than not, There's always exceptions, but more times than not, it'll start with the most important and work its way down to the least important. Same way we do on an ingredient list on the back of a bag of jelly beans. First ingredient is what? Absolutely, because that's the dominant ingredient. So they follow the law of priority listing. I use this as an example all the time to get you to understand it because it's so obvious. In the Scripture, there are many times when all 12 disciples are listed. But every time that they're listed, the first four are always the first four and the last four are always the last four. The middle four change a couple of times uh, differently, but the first four are always the top and the bottom four are always the bottom. Why? Because the first four were more prominent than the other four. And as we see this list of four responses, this is by far the prominent one. Number one, the number one response on this list is unaffected most people come to church see this is a picture of people that come and listen to the bible this is a picture of people that come and have a preacher throw seed out on their heart but their heart has just been beat down and maybe they know it maybe they don't know it but they're not affected and and some of them actually know and people I've seen people just look at me and I can hear them in their mind they're just staring at me with that uh you're not getting through to me today dude I don't care what you say. I'm not going to smile. I mean, there's some people that wouldn't raise an eyebrow if I stripped down naked and rolled on this, on this, on this stage. Yeah, well, they might. I don't know. Burning up hot with his fever. Might come out of his shirt, but I don't know about all the rest of that. Unaffected. This is the majority of what happens when people come to church. They hear the word. The minister throws the word out there. And it tries to land on their heart, but it bounces off their heart like if you throw seed, if you throw seed on soft, prepared soil, it will sink deep in that soil. If you throw seed on, on soil that's been stomped down and used as a footpath, this, it's just not. It's not going to work. And I want you to at least recognize, if that's you today, be honest about where you're at. Maybe your heart has been stomped on so much you don't receive anything from anybody. That's not a good place to be listen to verse 5 he said some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth but when the sun was up they were scorched and because they had no root they withered away so the second response is a superficial response it's, it's a it's a quick response but it has no root it it falls too close to the stones it said it fell on stony places if you're out there throwing your seed and it falls in between two rocks how many y'all know that grass can grow in the crack of a sidewalk but it's not going to make a pretty yard it can grow in the crack it can grow in the street i've seen grass growing on bridges anybody know how grass grows on bridges okay so there's a crack but how to get grass in it well how to get seed end up high on the bridge The bird flew over, had been eating grass seed, pooped it out on the concrete, and that's how you get grass in the crack. Now you know. You can't go to every church in America and have somebody as sick as a dog teach you how to get grass in the crack. I'm just letting you know. That, uh, That ought to be worth something. Stony places. Seed falls in between rocks all the time. And it will pop up quickly, but it won't last. Because it can't grow deep down. It is a superficial response. Jesus explained this type of response at the bottom of Matthew 13 in verse 20 when he said, But he who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, endures only for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles that word stumbled means offended i am passed up to here with people who are offended we live in a world of easily offended people just get their little pitiful feelings hurt over anything just offended and and people are making millions of dollars on job affairs making millions of dollars doing series on the spirit of offense because there's so many people well i'll never go back to church again that that the, the pastor offended me Because he said I shouldn't be living a homosexual lifestyle. Well, I just told you what the Bible said. Okay, well, let's let's don't even take it to the Bible. The pastor offended me because he said he hoped the Patriots stomp out the dirty birds because he's tired of everybody cheering against the big dog. Well, I'll never go back. My great great grandfather on my mother's auntie nephew, niece's side is from Atlanta. And I drove through Atlanta one time, so of course I'm a Falcons fan. Come on now. People get offended. I'm tired of people getting offended. Why? Because I deal with so many people like, I quit church. Why? Because I got offended. Why? So-and-so rolled their eyes at me. Do you ever stop thinking maybe they didn't? Maybe you're just so self-obsessed. Maybe you just think, maybe you're so vain. I bet you think the song is about you. Maybe, Maybe they had something in their eye. Well, pastor looked right at me, walked by me, talked to the person in front of me, and the person behind me didn't speak to me. If you're coming to church for the preacher to speak to you, you are wasting your time. Preacher can't get you into heaven. Come to church for Jesus. Amen. That's worth the price of admission right there. So many people are offended. Listen, that is a coward's response to somebody that doesn't want to serve God, so they just throw that out there. That's just a coward's response. How do I know that for sure? Because I've never heard anybody say, well, I, I, I can't get out of bed today because I can't look myself in the mirror. I'm so offended by me. You're offended because other people's imperfection, they didn't do everything right concerning you. Do you know you've done you wrong more than anybody else has ever done you wrong in your life? Amen. You've been in your way longer than anybody you even know. But nobody's ever offended at themselves, but they want to get offended at somebody else. See, here's the this is this is the group of people, the superficial response. The word goes out. People sitting in church, they hear it. Now, their their life's just full of Stones. Their, their whole life is is just jumbled up mess. But they hear something they want to latch on to it, not in a deep way, but in a superficial way. And they think that could probably help my business right there. If I join that church, I could probably sell cars to five or six people in there. I could push my insurance on somebody. I can run my network marketing program. I could probably get somebody to. And they have all these different agendas for why they think it's a good quick fix for them. Listen, don't come to God for a quick fix. Come to God because He's the only God that there is. They 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 have an immediate response. I've seen people come to church first time coming, gospel invitation given. They walk down crying, slobbing, anything you want, whatever you want. I'm gonna just live here forever. Don't even come back Sunday night. You said you was gonna be down with God forever, ride or die with God forever, and now I ain't seen you since the, the first time you walked the aisle. A superficial response is not what God is looking for. It. it Jesus explains it. He says that people, they, they don't have any root in themselves. They endure for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. There's a group of people out there that argue about whether or not people actually lose their salvation or not. Well, here's the easy answer for that. They don't. Okay, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, if it were possible for someone to lose their salvation, it'd be impossible for them to get saved again. So take anybody in that crowd to that passage, and that will alleviate their desire to think that. But it looks so many times like somebody comes and they get saved and then they fall out and they go back into the world. It's not that they lost their salvation, it's that their response was never genuine. Their response was superficial. Their response was a head knowledge that didn't get all the way down into the heart. It didn't have a root. Jesus isn't going to tell anyone on judgment day, I used to know you, but then you backslid, so I stopped knowing you, now you can't come into heaven. He's going to tell people, I never knew you, or I did know you. But this, this immediate, quick response, without thought, without depth, without root, this is, this is somebody who doesn't last. Say, won't last. A lot of people start a thing but don't finish a thing. It's in the lasting. It's in the enduring. The Bible says that all God's promises are to those who endure. People who are easily stumbled out of their relationship with God, people who are easily offended out of their relationship with God, they never had any depth anyway. One of the first things I do um, I, I, I sit with people, I talk to them in premarriage counseling, I try to talk them out of it. Didn't I try to talk you out of it? I do, I do every, it, because here's the thing, if I can talk you out of it in a 30-minute counseling session, you're not going to hold up for very long. If you're going be talked into something or talked out of something, you're not committed to a thing. And a lot of people are so easily talked out of their commitment to Christ, so easily offended out of their commitment to Christ. So there's no depth to that. There's no root to that. That's not a sincere response that's a superficial stony ground response let's look at the next place verse 7 in Matthew 13 and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them this is the third response the divided response this is it it fell among thorns but there's thorns and soil so so there's some good stuff and some bad stuff, and there are people sitting in churches all around the world. They hear the truth, and they got got some good stuff they really want to get next to God, but they got some stuff that's prickly prior to, and they just want to stay away from God as well. So they get this divided response. It's a response that doesn't have commitment. I'm going to tell you something. If you say that you're saved, but you're not committed enough to come to church more than twice a month, you really ought to check that. You believe God is going to get your dead body up out of the grave one day, piece you back together and transport you all the way to heaven when you didn't even care enough to come to church two weeks in a row? People don't like this kind of preaching. It makes them think too much. You, you really believe that that you're, you're truly saved? Pastor, I know I'm saved. That, that blows me away because if you come to me, and, and you all know, been around for a while, you know, if you come to me for any counseling at all, first thing I'm going to ask you is how much time are you spending in your word? And I get the same response all the time. Well, not as much as I should. Well, what does that mean? So I want to know how many days out of seven are you spending time reading God's word? Because it's food for your inner man. You can't be healthy without feeding your soul. And so I hear these people say, well, you know, I probably, you know, one or two days a week. Listen, if you got a salvation that only makes you want to read God's word one or two days a week, well, why are you so convinced you're saved? I have people come to me, counsel, I ask them, how much time are you spending? Well, I haven't really been reading the Bible much lately, preacher. Okay, well, t- tell, me, tell me what's going on. Well, uh, Pastor, I'm, a, I'm addicted to pornography. I got a cell phone my wife don't know about for my three girlfriends. They don't know about each other. I'm cheating on my girlfriends, two women, uh, stealing money from my job. Uh, well, let's talk to you about salvation. Oh, no, I know I'm saved. You know you're saved how? The Bible says that the righteous are scarcely saved, and the sinner will not go to heaven. How how is it that so many people are so determined because they walked in aisle, prayed a prayer because they got a little bit of head knowledge about the Bible. They just, oh, I know I'm saved. You don't have to talk to me about salvation, Pastor. I'm saved for sure. Do you really want to die with the salvation that you claim you possess right now? A salvation that doesn't encourage you to love Him, a salvation that doesn't encourage you to serve Him, a salvation that doesn't encourage you to worship Him, a salvation that doesn't encourage you to give your all to Him. If you are saved, that means you know what He did for you. The divided response doesn't really understand it all, so it's unfruitful. It 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 it, it doesn't yield. Jesus explained in Matthew. Thirteen twenty-two. he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. People come in, they hear it, but they're kind of torn. But let me tell you again what i told you many times. God does not need us. We need him. Well, I'm a little bit torn on whether or not I really want to serve God with everything. But I give him two days a week. Keep it. God God is not looking for part-time lovers. God said, you will only find me when you search for me with your whole heart. See, that's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is different from every other religion. Ninety percent in Christianity is still a failure. If you're 90 percent sure you love God, if you're 90 percent sure you're you're going to heaven, it ain't worth worrying about. That 10 percent you need to worry about, it ain't worth trusting a 90 percent salvation. The Bible says that God wrote these things to us that we could know that we're saved. This divided response this mm, I'm kind of in but I'm kind of out. See, a lot of people want to treat God like he is a condiment. God wants to be the whole dish. But you want to treat God like I'll add a little a little ketchup over here and a little mustard over here. Maybe I'll take a little I'll take a little bit of God and add him on Sunday, take a little God and add him on Wednesday. God is not interested in being that. God is interested in being your everything. But people get this divided response that falls on thorns. They hear the word, but then they, because they care about the world, and they care about money, and it's not just money. People want to act like money is, is, is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, and there are just as many poor people going to hell as rich people. It's just hard for rich people to go to heaven because a lot of them won't trust God because they trust their money too much. That's a different message for a different time. But there are people who are torn. Want to serve God a little bit, but know that they ain't ready to serve God holy. I've had so many people say, Pastor, I, I'm just not ready to get saved yet. And I'll ask, okay, I mean, I love the honesty of it, but why? Well, I'm not, I, I'm not ready to give up my blah, 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 and blah, blah. And it sounds like that makes sense, okay? And they, they've told me, when I, when I really get ready to give God my everything, then, then, then I'm going to come and get saved. Here's the problem. You're not going to have strength to give up your blah, blah, and your blah, blah in your own power. But if you would just take a leap of faith and trust God, God would give you power to give up all that other stuff and hold on to him with everything that you have. (laughs) It's the power of God that changes us, not our own ability to change. If we could change, we wouldn't need God. We need God to give us the power to change. Give us the power to quit doing all this aberrant behavior that we really don't even want to do. So don't wait until you're all there to come to God. Don't say, well, I know my response is divided. Give everything you can to God and trust him to get you the rest of the way. In in, in verse 8 of the parable, Jesus said, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some 100, some 60, and some 30. Now, this is the genuine response. We saw the hardened response or the unaffected response. We saw the superficial response that that easily gets offended. We saw the divided response that cares too much about the world. But this response is the genuine response. This is the response that the sower expects to happen when the word is being thrown out. This is the expected response. Response. This is what God is looking for. This is what the farmer is looking for when he sows seed. Jesus explains it in the end of Matthew 13 and verse 23 when he says, But he who received seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. He who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is a picture of real salvation. This is a picture of what happens to somebody when they hear the word and they are at the time and place in their life where they're ready to respond with true salvation. I want you to look at this verse really good. Pay attention to the punctuation. I always tell you that. Break it down in bite-sized pieces so you can understand it. But he who received the seed on the ground, the word of God, into his heart is he who hears the word and understands it. If you go back today, tomorrow, sometime in your life, and you look at those other three responses, they all three heard it. All four responses hear it. The three that heard it and didn't produce fruit heard it, but they didn't go beyond hearing it. He heard, This is somebody who hears the word and understands it. Oh, that's making sense to me. I'm hearing that, and I, I feel like that I'm understanding some of that. I, I, I see what I need to do about that. So you got to hear the word, you got to understand the word, and you got to produce fruit to be part of this genuine response, this real response. Now, I agree with what all Orthodox theologians believe about this parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. There's four different types of people represented here. But they're all inside the church because they're all in places where the word is constantly being thrown out on them. I believe this is a picture of what churches are all about. There are people in this room right now who you come to church, you get the word thrown on you. Hearts hard, you ain't hearing it. People in the church, you get the word thrown on you, falls on stony places. You might get a little sprout every now and then, get gets choked out. There are people who get the word thrown on them, but thrown between the thorns you get some good response some bad response but bottom line is you love the world more than you love God so you keep doing you but only one out of four is a true picture of salvation only one out of four is a true picture of somebody going to heaven I believe what most orthodox theologians believe this teaches about our churches around the world on Sunday morning one out of four people in this church are going to go to heaven How awful is that? How crazy is that? I mean, but do you honestly believe that everybody sitting in this room right now is is hearing the word, understanding the word, and bearing fruit? You, You know people in your house ain't bearing fruit. You know that you're not bearing fruit. You know that you don't really receive this word gladly, understand it, apply it to your life to where it becomes your everything. This is one of the hardest realities I have as a pastor. To know the people I care about. Because I know there are lost people in this room right now that, that are dear to me. And, and I, I see you struggle and hold on. And you, you, you need to let go and let God have his way in your life. You need, to, you need a genuine response to Christ. You need to stop having a divided response. You need to stop having stony heart. You need to stop having seed among thorns. You need to have a true salvation experience. Jesus said they hear it, they understand it, and they bear fruit. See, bearing fruit is evidence on the outside of what's going on on the inside. I told you all, I don't know much about trees. I can't tell you what an orange tree looks like from an apple tree unless there's fruit hanging from them. You let me get up close enough to it, I see oranges on it. It's an orange tree. How do I know that? Because I can see on the outside what's happening. The fruit exposes the root. I can't see the root of that tree to know what it is, but I can see the fruit. The things that people can see in your life are telling them what's really going on on the inside of you. Now, sometimes you can cover it up. Sometimes you can mask it over. Sometimes you can make the bad look good or the good look bad. Sometimes you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you'll never fool God. And God knows what's really going on in your life. See, there are people who walk aisles one, two, five, 20 times and never got saved. I walked aisle, prayed a prayer, got baptized several times in my life as a child never resulted in true salvation for me. You say, well, Pastor, why, why would you recommend people keep doing that? Because you need to keep doing it until it works for you. The Bible says that you'll only find God when you search for him with your whole heart. The Bible says you'll only find God when you get to the place where he's drawing you and you're ready. I believe the scariest passage in all the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7. It's talking about the end of time and the judgment. And in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been around for a while. When in first century writing, someone calls a name twice, that indicates an apparent intimacy. When there's a double enunciation of a title or a name, that indicates that the person speaking thinks they're close. Now, if Deacon West called Nixa sweet baby, sugar pie, honey bunch, uh, apple dumpling, whatever, that would be totally acceptable. Now, if Brother David did it, he allowed liable to get, you know, choked out. There's an applied intimacy by this person. This is what's going to happen. This is a picture, Matthew chapter 7, of the judgment day. And Jesus said people are going to come and stand before him, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. They really believe that they know him. He said everybody that says that is not getting there. Verse 22, he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. These are people who preached, who did miracles, and who cast out devils. And we got people sitting in churches who think that God's going to let them into heaven anyhow just because they were a member of a church. Being a member of a church won't get you into heaven. Being a good person won't get you into heaven. Preaching, teaching, doing miracles won't get you into heaven. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a real, genuine response to the gospel? Does your heart hear and understand the love that God has for you, and are you willing to accept that wholeheartedly to where you can begin to produce fruit and create other disciples? Here, here's, here's the real question. Who do you know that's in heaven, going to heaven based on your life? because that's what a big part of bearing fruit is. You are affecting people everywhere you go. I was out at my seventh grade alma mater yesterday, with Coach Green, working with some young, young kids in basketball, and his love for basketball is apparent. And they are developing, they are learning that from him. He is is bearing fruit of his love for basketball, and it's affecting other people. See, that's the true purpose of bearing fruit, where you affect other people, not for basketball, but whatever it is that your life is affecting people for, if you claim to be saved, you ought to be raising up new Christians. The Bible says everything reproduces after its own kind. Sheep reproduce sheep. Goats reproduce goats. Cows reproduce cows. Christians ought to be reproducing Christians because of your great love for God and the change that's happened in your life, because of the harvest that's happened in your life, because you heard the word, understood it, and because you received it. Who has become a Christian based on your witness? Jesus said, he's going to tell them, depart from me. This is the scariest part of all the Bible to me. These are people who really are shocked on Judgment Day. They're going to be saying, but Jesus, I sang in the choir. I was the pastor. I was talking to Gail's mom last night. We were over at the grandparents' house with the kids. She's talking about the old worship leader came by weeping to let her know he had just gotten saved. And I thought, man, that's so awesome. And I told her what my heart feels. I wish every worship leader in America would get saved. If every worship leader in America was saved and every preacher in America was saved, it would change the world. Pastor, you really believe that there's preachers that are lost? All the time. But let me ask you this. Do you believe there are church members that are lost? Four types of soil. Only one produced fruit. If you're not producing fruit, I don't know why you're so determined that you're truly saved. I don't know why. That's like somebody tells me, oh, I'm, a, I'm." I know. see, Deacon West is a Seminole fan. I don't understand it, but he is. Make no sense. But he is, and he could talk to you about Seminole football. But when I hear somebody say, you know, like when the Seahawks, Got on the street. All of a sudden, everybody was a Seahawks fan. Now, I know Ken's wife a Seahawks fan, but she, she'd she been doing that. But I want to know, uh, can you name three players on their team? If you can't name three players on their team, I doubt your fanhood. Honestly, in football, if you can't name seven players on their team, I doubt your fanhood. You tell me you're a big-time Boston Celtics fan. If you can't name the starting five, I don't believe you're a big-time fan of anything. There's too many people out there saying that they believe that they, they're really saved. What's your proof text? What's your evidence? Don't get caught in this place where you have the wrong response to the gospel. Don't get caught in this place where you're telling Jesus, but, but, but I worked in food and clothing. But, but my, my grandfather was, was a deacon. The only criteria is going to be, do you really have a relationship with him? Has that word fell on your heart and have you understood it and taken it in deep to where it's growing in you? It has to have root. So what kind of fruit does your life show? What's hanging off the branches of your story? What's the stuff that people see in your life? Jesus said in Matthew seven 16, you'll know them by their fruit. So many people start church, try to walk with God, never finish. Some people think they lost their salvation. The Bible says what God does, he does forever. Look at this verse in 1 John and we'll get out of here. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us. These are all the non-genuine response people. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The reason why some people come to church for a little while and then they fall out is not because they had salvation and lost it. It's not because they had salvation and backslid. It's because they never really had the us. And I've told you all many times, when the Bible uses words like we and us, It's primarily talking about who? If you're not really part of us, then you don't have true salvation. And this is why some people drift in and drift out. Because they never really were all of us. God's not looking for part-time Christians. God's looking for full-time, all-time Christians. tried to teach the church for years the simple truth people say the devil been making me have doubts lately pastor the devil been making me doubt my salvation hear this and I'm done I don't believe the devil makes anybody doubt their salvation. Because if you doubt your salvation, it might prompt you to do something to fix that. The devil wants unsaved people to think, oh, I'm saved. I know I don't read my Bible, but I'm saved. I know I don't really love God more than I love myself, but I'm saved. I know I don't serve God, but I'm saved. I know this is not making sense even if you listen to yourself say it. The devil wants you to think that you're saved. People say, ah, the devil's been making me have doubts. No, I believe God makes you have doubts. I believe it's God's loving way of letting you know you're truly not all the way born again. You might be a good person. You might desire Christ. But if you don't have root, if you're not rooted in this thing, you're not going to make it past the judgment. John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at that last day, I will raise them up. God has to draw you to Jesus. See, sometimes people walk an aisle, often emotional response, but it wasn't really God drawing them. It was the oratory of the preacher. It was the story. It was just the time of year. God draws people to Christ. I believe God is drawing some of you today to real salvation. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I've already walked the aisle more than once. My kids have walked the aisle dozens of times. And I tell our children church worker the same thing: keep letting them walk that aisle till so they don't feel the need to walk it anymore. You keep keep knocking on the door of God, heaven, till he lets you in. If you are not 100% sure that you are deeply rooted in God, the only thing that would stop you from responding to a salvation invitation is your pride. And I want to urge you today to not let your pride send you to a devil's hell forever. You say, well, I'm already serving in the church. Pastor, what will you think? I won't save people serving in the church. Jesus said in John 6, 37, those the Father has given will come to me, and I will never reject them. It's not about what people think about you trying to get to God. It's about what Jesus and God think about you trying to get to God. And Jesus said, if the Father's drawing you, I will never turn you away. God draws people to Christ by his Spirit. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you need more of real salvation, maybe maybe you know you're not where you need to be with God. Maybe you know your salvation isn't sure. Maybe maybe you've been doubting for a long time, or, or maybe it's your first time doubting. But there's only really two classifications in life that matter. It's not educated, uneducated. It's not red, yellow, black, or white. It's not young, old, rich, or poor. It's not Patriots, fan, and dirty birds. Saved and lost. Which one of those two do you fit into today? Are you saved? Don't convince yourself, based on your pride, that you have something that common sense would declare you don't have. I like what one person said. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were on trial today for being a Christian, is there enough evidence in your life to get a conviction? I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be saved. I want every person in this church to be saved. I want every person. It's just heartbreaking to me to see people. You want to change. You want to do better. You want, you want it all to be right, but it's, you just keep that square peg trying to go in that round hole and life's just not working for you. And you just keep thinking, well, I'll hit it harder. I'll try. No. You just need to give up and say, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. Well, Pastor, I've tried that before and it didn't work. Don't give up on God. Keep pursuing God. Keep pursuing God. Jesus said, knock and door will be opened unto you. Ask and you shall receive. Seek. And you shall find. We're going to have a time right now of opportunity for you. See, the Bible says, "Whosoever believes in him should not be ashamed. We're going to have a time of opportunity for you. Where if you really want to have a genuine response to the gospel. If you are ready to say, I don't care what every other trip I've ever had down the aisle meant. I don't care what everything in my life has led to up until this point, but I know I'm ready to be saved. I know I'm ready to give everything I have to God. We're going to give you an opportunity to do something that Jesus said do. And here's what he said. If you confess me in front of people, I'm going to confess you in front of my Father on Judgment Day. i want to give you an opportunity to declare openly in front of people that you're choosing Jesus today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you for your word. God, I pray by your spirit that you would draw people to true salvation. Right now, I'm asking everybody to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed and nobody looking around. If sometime during this message you felt something tugging on your heart, letting you know that you need more than what you really have. If if you felt God drawing you and you say, Preacher, I I believe that I'm ready for true salvation. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you that God would draw you fully and give you deep roots so you wouldn't have to be in and out and up and down all the time. If, if, If you're here and you really want salvation i'm gonna gonna lead you in a prayer right now i'm not gonna make you come up to the front right now to pray this i'm gonna lead you in a prayer right where you sit this prayer is not magic the words of this prayer won't save you but if you really want god to save you he'll hear the intent of your heart i'm gonna pray it out loud you pray it silently in your heart dear god i believe in you i believe jesus died was buried and rose again please forgive me my sins Save me for real. Make me a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.